This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Well, if you are not part of our community builder, our database system, you won't be getting that information and you're missing out on so much that we want to offer you as a church. And so each week we give you an opportunity to get plugged into New Life. And it's right through this card that says start here. So go ahead and grab this card for me. Uh, Everybody, we ask you all to do it. And by the way, the lights are on so I can see you. So just so you know, I have no problem calling you out. Go ahead and grab that. Put your name on it. And if you're a guest with us, or if you're not currently in our database and you would like to be, uh, put your email, phone number, address, any information you're comfortable giving us. We do a lot of our connection through email and phone. So that would be very helpful. And we'll be using this a little bit later on this morning. But this is just a card that helps us stay connected to you, helps you stay connected to us and the things we're doing in our church throughout Sonoma County and around the world. And especially this week, boy, I want you to get to know Susan because she has such a wonderful plan and a vision for not only serving the children in our church, but really um, incorporating our family ministries to help families on multi-generations serve and lead these children in a way that I think is going to just transform not only our church. I know it's going to be great for our church, but it's going to transform parenting in Petaluma and Sonoma County. So let's be praying for Susan because I think she's got some great stuff for our community. So go ahead and and, uh, get that card ready. The other thing that you're going to want are the teaching notes. Now, Usually there are a lot of blanks, and if you like to take notes, you love our teaching notes, I want to warn you today, there are only two blanks, because today I want to zoom out. One of the things that New Life is really good at is we are fiercely personal and practical, which is why many weeks people come up to me and they say, Kevin, I felt like you were talking just to me. That thing you said, it was perfect for for my job or for our marriage, for our kids. It's very personal. It's very practical. But sometimes I like to zoom out and I like to go big picture so that we can, we can get a, a broader understanding of who we are. Because I believe that as life gets busy, uh, your job gets more hectic, the kids have more needs, uh, life just starts to go. And it's so easy for us to put our nose to the grindstone, to get tunnel vision, and just to go without ever looking up and looking around. And today I want to look around and I want to talk about the big story of God and our place in the story. Because I believe if you know your place in the story, it makes all the difference in the world. If you've ever been to a wedding as a plus one, you know that it's, it's not very meaningful to you to go to the wedding ceremony because you don't know the couple. You don't know uh, their story. You don't know how they got to that point, which is why anytime I officiate a wedding, I always like to tell the couple's story because it helps us find out how they got from meeting each other to this point right here. It helps us celebrate their story. It helps us to to find our place in the celebration. And in the same way, you and I are part of a global story that God is writing. In fact, it's a, a love story. It's a big, big story that started at the very beginning of the world, and it will continue on as long as this world exists. And what I'd like to do is I want to talk today about this love story, because I want you to find your place in it. And if you're here today and you've been in the church a long time, I want you to zoom out and try to remember the big story. And if you're brand new to Christianity, what I want to do this morning is walk you from the very first book of the Bible, Genesis, all the way to the very end and give some broad strokes for the story um, that God is writing and that you and I are part of. And what I did in your teaching notes is I just gave you the places where you can find these major strokes of the story. And I'd encourage you, if you're brand new to church, go home this week, read the story, find out your place in it, because it'll make all the difference for you. So here's the main part of the story. It starts out in scene one with creation. 
And it starts out something like this. God was there, but there was nothing else. The world was formless, and there was a void. Before there was a was, there was God. And God looked out over this vast nothingness, and in God's power, all God had to do was speak. And God spoke, and bang! And maybe it was a big bang, I don't know. <laughs> bang! The world came into existence. God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God looked out over the light. And he said, I want to create the world. And he, he spoke the world into being. And God started flinging stars into the sky, the sun and the moon. And God put water on the earth and separated waters that would be in the sky from the waters down below. And then God he put plants in the sea and on land. God made animals and reptiles. And then at the height of God's creativity, God created people. He created a man and a woman. And the first words that God said to this man and this woman, I want you to hear this because it marks everything from this moment forward. He said, you are free. Specifically, and you'll like this if you're on a diet, he said, you are free to eat anything, anything. It's fantastic. God looked at them and he said, I want you to have freedom to eat anything you want from this beautiful world that I've created and put you into. Except there's one thing. There's this tree over here in this corner and I don't want you to eat from this tree. And it's an act of trust. Trusting that I have your best interests in mind. Trusting that I know more about this world than you do because I created it and you've been here for a very short period of time. So eat whatever you want but don't eat that. And this man and this woman had this beautiful relationship with God where God was their creator and their sustainer, but also like a father and like a friend, God would walk through the garden. And he would talk to the people. They would stand face to face and they would share time together. It was, it was a great story. And we find that story in Genesis chapter one and chapter two, but then we get to Genesis chapter three, the very beginning of a very long book. And that's where we find scene two. And scene two is original sin. And by the way, it's in the very beginning of a big book, which tells you the rest of the book is God figuring out how to, how to fix what happens right here. See, the man and the woman wanted to be like God. And so in an act of disobedience, where they said, God, we know at least as much as you, but we want to know even more the man and the woman went to the one tree that God said not to eat from and they took it and they ate it. And God said, as soon as you do, you will surely die. You'll begin to physically die, but you will spiritually die. And they stopped trusting. And when they did, we're told that something called sin entered into the world. I'll give you a working definition of the outpouring of sin. And then we'll talk about how it takes shape. A working definition is simply this. Sin causes us to think certain things, like dwell on them, say th certain things, and do certain things that hurt us, that separate us from the people we love the most, and ultimately that separate us from a perfect God. And I don't have to tell you what your sin is, because you and I have all laid in bed at certain points in our lives. We've thought to ourselves, I'm never going to think that again or say that again, do that again. 
never going to go there, drink that, smoke that, look at that, hit that website. I'm never going to do it again. That was you knowing that that was not good for you. And we're told that, that those things that we think and say and do, that's sin, but it goes deeper than that. We're told that when this man and this woman chose to disobey God, sin entered into this world, and we all are now born, every person from that day to this day is born in the image of God with God's thumbprint on us, but also with this sin nature that's inside of us, which causes us to do the very things we don't want to do, which is why you've laid in bed before and you've thought, I'm never going to drink it, smoke it, go there, do it, be with her, be with him, say it. And then a week later, or a month later, or a year later, you were drinking it, smoking it, doing it, saying it, going there, looking at it again. And you thought to yourself, why am I doing this? I know I don't want to. I know it's hurting me. I know it's hurting the people I love. And if there is a God, I know that God doesn't want me to do this. Well, the reason why that happens is there's a sin nature that has a certain amount of control over each of our lives. It entered in through this first man and woman, and it carries on every successive generation. And this is where Christianity splits from all other major world religions. Because all other world religions say, we need to, people need to make our way back to God. But Christianity would say we can't make our way back to God because it's the sin nature that causes us to do the very thing we don't want to do. And so God made his way to us. And the rest of the Bible, from Genesis chapter 3 all the way to the last book of the Bible, Revelation, is a love story about God making his way back to us. And in scene three, we get God's plan for redemption, his way to get back to us. It's found in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. And it revolves around one of the most unlikely candidates. It's this crazy moon-worshiping, half-sister-marrying, lying son-of-a-gun named Abraham. I'm not making this up. This is Abraham. And you look at him, and he's the kind of guy that you want to have as your friend because he makes you feel better about yourself. That's the kind of guy Abraham was. He was so jacked up that there's nothing good in him. And yet, not because of who he was, but because of God's great plan, God used him. And if you're here today and you think, I'm beyond God using me because I'm so jacked up, at least you're not a moon-worshiping, half-sister-marrying, lying son of a gun like Abraham. And yet God said to Abraham, I'm going to use you to to initiate my plan to save the entire world. And here's what it's going to look like. God said to Abraham, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless your wife. And I'm going to bless your descendants. In fact, I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm going to make you a nation of people so numerous, it's more than the sands on the sea, the sands on the shore. It's more than the stars in the sky. I'm going to make you into a great nation. And from you, someday, I'm going to bring about a savior to fix this sin problem. And the rest of the Older Testament of the Bible is the story of God doing exactly that. Abraham and his wife begin to have kids, and over the generations, their family grows. They become known as the nation of Israel or the Jewish people. And the rest of the Old Testament is the story of them imperfectly trying to follow God as God woos them back to himself, as God loves them and blesses them, and leads them. And he does it through kings. He does it through prophets. He does it through prophetesses. And then we get to the last book of the Old Testament of the Bible, a book called Malachi. And this prophet is speaking. And at the end of his life, we're told that there was silence. 300 years in the nation of Israel 
where no one spoke on behalf of God, just silence. People wondering, God, where are you? God, what happened? God, have you left? And then God broke the silence. And on Christmas, we're going to celebrate God breaking that silence. See, 300 years after this last prophet, through the line of Abraham's family, God sent his own son, Jesus, into the world. And over the last 2,000 plus years, people have come to believe that Jesus was not only fully man, but he was also fully God, sent from God the Father to come to this world to live a perfect life. And he had to live a perfect life because he would give his life to pay the penalty for our sin. Remember, God said in Genesis, the penalty of this sin is death, eventual physical death and eternal spiritual death. But Jesus lived a perfect life and then he gave his life freely on the cross to pay the penalty for that sin, to give his own life, which is why every week we stop and we celebrate communion. It is the the turning point in human history when once and for all Jesus fixed the sin problem. And he said, anybody who comes to me and knows me can experience my forgiveness because I paid the penalty for your sin. And in a very public, very brutal execution, Jesus was nailed to a cross. And we celebrate that every year on Good Friday and Easter. We remember that he died in plain view. He was buried. And then three days later, he rose again. And if you're here and you're thinking to yourself, all right, I don't know if I can buy this whole raising again thing. I want you to go to our website, newlifepetaluma.org, pull up the message I did on Easter because I give an evidence in that entire message about how you can know that Jesus rose from the dead with certainty. And if that doesn't pique your interest enough, our worship pastor Justin sings Ice Ice Baby in that message. So you definitely want to listen to it because it was so good. It was so good. But here's what Jesus did. When he, when he rose from the dead, he broke the power of sin and death and destruction and said, you no longer have to experience eternal physical death. He said, when you blink for the last time, when you breathe for the last time, you will wake up in heaven. And if you've called on my name, experience my forgiveness, you'll wake up with God, your heavenly father in heaven, reunited. And it'll be beautiful, just like it was in that garden. And this story is a big story. It's a love story about a creative God who spoke the world into being, spoke people here, people who rebelled from God, and then God who chased his people down and gave himself for us. And in Revelation, which is the last book of the Bible, we see a culmination of what this world will look like when we all enter into eternity with God. Revelation is written by a guy named John who had a vision of what it would look like that day to see God and to be with God. And in Revelation chapter 7, he says this about this love story that God's writing. He says, After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, people from every nation and tribe and people and language. And they were standing before the throne of God and before the Lamb. And, and the Lamb is a reference to Jesus. And they were wearing white robes and holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to Jesus, the Lamb. And here's what he's telling us. One day, you and I will stand together. If we've entered into a relationship with God, we'll stand together worshiping God with Christians from around the world. 
Here's the reality about new life. We might be a big church in Petaluma, but we are a very small church in God's global plan. We're just a a blip on the radar. And here's the amazing thing about God. I was talking to my seven-year-old Maddie about this the other day because we were talking about my experience in India a handful of weeks ago. And she said to me, Daddy, how can God hear our prayers here and hear their prayers in India? And Daddy, how can God be here and be there at the same time? And I immediately brought up some big theological words. And then I realized she's seven, which is why we need a family ministries pastor. And I realized even if I said those words here, they wouldn't mean a whole lot to us either. So here's what I said to Maddie. Maddie, here's the amazing thing about God and the story that God's writing. God is here and there at the same time. God hears our prayers here this morning. And in India, where our friends are now going to sleep, God is hearing their prayers and the prayers of those children as they go to bed. And the great thing is God works throughout the night on behalf of the people of India, just as he's working throughout the day on our behalf. This story that God is writing is a global love story. The last time a global survey was done, it was reported that roughly 2.3 billion, with a B, people, that's that's a third of the world's population, 2.3 billion people claim to be followers of Jesus. The story has taken the world by storm because it's true, because it's the best news in the history of the world, because God's on the move. He's calling people to himself. He's forgiving us of our sins. He's healing relationships. He's giving his spirit to anybody who would ask. What God does when we become followers of him is he takes that sin nature and he takes it out of us and he replaces it with his Holy Spirit. And we're told that God's spirit leads us to truth and then gives us the power to do the things God called us to do. It's the greatest story in the history of the world. And you and I get to be part of it. What I want to do for the rest of our time together this morning is just just share a little bit about what God's doing around the world so that we can celebrate, so that we can remember that while we might be a big church here, we're a small church in God's global love story. And so that we can take action where action needs to be taken. Here are just a few of the good things God's doing around the world. Did you know that the good news, the good news of Jesus is spreading The Bible has been translated into 4,800 of the 6,800 spoken languages around the world. That means that that people who speak 4,800 different languages have the opportunity to hear about God, to read about God's story in their native language, in their heart language. I don't know if you've ever had the experience to crack open a Bible with someone for the first time and they've never seen it, but I have. It's powerful. I remember sitting with a a college student, a gal named Lydia, and she'd been introduced to me by some friends and and I asked her, would you like to to study the Bible and get to know God? And she said, sure. So we got together. I said, well, what have you read so far? She said, well, I haven't read very much. I said, okay, well, tell me what you have read. We'll start from there. And she looked down and then she looked back up at me and said, to be honest, I've never actually cracked a Bible in my life. So I said, well, let's start from the very beginning. It's a very good place to start. <laughs> and we started, that joke never gets old. I love it. <laughs> Until Jesus comes back, just bear with me. 
So we picked up Genesis, the first book of the Bible, and we read what I just shared with you. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and void. And God spoke, and there was shape, and there was life. And through this story, she got to know not only is God big and powerful and creative and makes everything, but God is also fiercely personal and knows me and loves me and sees me. And one night she came to me after I preached a powerful sermon on giving, and she said to me with tears in her eyes, I thought I just did a bad job preaching about money, by the way tears in her eyes. And she says, Kevin, last night in my bedroom, I gave my life to Jesus because God had captured her heart as she read his word. We're told that faith comes from hearing and hearing comes from the word of God. She said, and I called my sister because her sister and her family had never read a Bible. She said, I called my sister a couple months ago. I gave her a Bible. She's been reading it. I called her up last night to tell her that I gave my life to Jesus. And she told me that two days ago, she gave her life to Jesus. And she was going to call me, but God told her, wait, because God said he was doing something in her life. And they cried together. And then just a few months later, Lydia's mother gave her life to Jesus because there's power in God's word and God's love story. The good news is God's love story has been translated into 4,800 languages. The bad news is there are still about 2,000 languages that don't have the story of God in their native heart language that translates to roughly 2 million people around the world right now. And I'm so thankful for Bible translators who give their lives to translate the Bible into people's native languages. There's more good news. Christianity is exploding in certain regions around the world. Just 115 years ago, in South Africa, there were 7 million Christians. 115 years later, there are 35,765,000 and some odd Christians. That's roughly 79% of South Africa's population in the last 115 years has come to put their faith in Jesus. That is amazing. That's something only God can do with a story that God is writing. In India, where we have our ministry partners, just in the last handful of years, three to five years, they've planted 12 new churches They're changing the spiritual climate of southern India as these churches are being planted. And by the way, New Life, I was so excited to go to India and share with our ministry partners in India that because of your ongoing generosity, because you give weekly, faithfully, regularly to this church, because of your generosity, we're actually going to sponsor two more church plants for the next three years in India, which is pretty exciting, isn't it? The director of their mission said to me, we have church planners ready to go. We have churches ready to start. We just don't have funding for it. And I said, well, our church is one of the most generous churches in Sonoma County. And because of their generosity, we can support two more pastors to plant two more churches, which means hundreds of lives will be changed in India because of your ongoing generosity. Friends, I love being part of this church. We might be just a small blip in the radar, but we're making big ripples around the world. And just like with any love story, though, there's tragedy mixed into this story. And I want to share with you some of the suffering that's happening around the world. I want us to take a sobering look at what's going on, because the truth is we live in Petaluma and Sonoma County, fairly insulated and isolated lives, free from persecution, free from suffering. And then every once in a while, something happens, like the shooting in Oregon that targeted Christians at that college, that pricks our conscience. And we realize while persecution at a very small level is happening in our country, 
But then we look globally and we realize persecution is widespread. I think about places like China, where just this past May, two pastors were sentenced to four years in prison. Their crime? They gathered together in a warehouse that was owned by a Christian with 16 other Christians, and they sang a few worship songs together. And while they were singing a few worship songs, government agents stormed their building, arrested all 18 people, including women and children, held them in prison, and beat the pastors repeatedly on charges of leading a cult. They eventually let the 16 other people go, and they kept the two pastors to make an example of them, and they were being held in prison for four years. Their crime? At a Christian-owned company, they gathered together with a small group and sang a few worship songs. I think about places like North Korea, where Kim Jong-un is persecuting Christians. According to the global watch list, North Korea is the most persecuted country. 25 million people live in North Korea. Of that, 300,000 of them are Christians. Of the 300,000, 50 to 70,000 Christians are imprisoned in forced labor camps right now, right now as we speak. In those labor camps, these 50 to 70,000 Christians are experiencing regular disappearances, regular beatings, and regular executions. I think about places like the Sudan, where Islam is well-rooted in Sudanese society and Sharia law is, is the foundation of the legal system. And, and as that foundation, there are blasphemy laws that are being used countrywide to persecute and prosecute Christians. There are apostasy laws right now saying that anyone who converts to Christianity will be punished with execution for becoming a Christian. It's the law. Even in places like India, where God is clearly on the move right now. We showed up in India. We were driving from the airport, the two-hour drive back to our hotel. I was talking to the ministry leaders, and I said to them, boy, God is moving in your country. God is using you guys to do just incredible stuff. I heard about these churches, and you know me. I'm kind of loud, and I like to talk, so I'm at full volume And they had a driver who they had rented to drive us. And the ministry leader said, please be quiet. I said, why? He said, well, there's a radical Hindu government that has taken over leadership of the country. And they're starting to persecute Christians. Any Christian ministry that is growing and thriving is experiencing persecution right now. He said, and people are always listening. He said, I don't know if the driver speaks any English, but if he does and he hears you, people are reporting Christian movements to the government right now. He told me stories about government agents that are going into communities where our ministry partners hold their churches at times when they know the church is going to be meeting, and they're seeing who's leaving their house and going to church. And if they see a Hindu leaving their house and going to a Christian church, they're taking away their tax subsidies, they're taking away their educational tax cuts, they're taking away everything they can. And so our churches that we support are having to move their service times in order to mix up the government so they can meet and try to escape a little bit of this persecution that's happening. He said there are stories of government agents who are, who are going into the church, pretending to be parishioners, pretending to be interested. And if they find a pastor who's giving people the opportunity to enter into a relationship with Jesus, like I do every single Sunday, they're taking that pastor outside and they are beating him mercilessly. 
Now, I don't tell us this to give us a sense of hopelessness. I want to talk to us about this, though, because persecution has happened from the times of the early church and will continue to happen, and we have a role to play. I'm reminded of Matthew chapter 12, where Jesus is talking to to a whole crowd of people. He's teaching and he's leading, and his mom and his brothers show up. And someone says to him, hey, Jesus, your mom and your brothers are here. And and you would think he would say, good, send them in. Look, and I'm doing some great stuff here. And Jesus looks at this person and he says to him, in verse 48, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? And then he stretched out his hand towards the disciples. These were his, his followers. And he said, behold, my mother, my brothers, for whoever does the will of my father who is in heaven, he is my brother and sister and mother. See, according to Jesus, these Christians that I'm sharing about, they're our family. And I don't want us to be hopeless about the case of our family, but I want us, to, even though we live locally, to dream and think and pray and serve globally because our global family is being hurt. And I want us to do it in the context of knowing that God is on the move, that God is working, that God, like I said to Maddie, that God hears our prayers here and he hears the prayers of our friends around the world. And here's the great thing about God. He responds to our prayers for our friends around the world and he moves on their behalf. Next Sunday is the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. And as I worked with our global outreach team, I thought to myself, I don't want to just do a passing prayer when we pass the baskets about the persecuted church. I want us to feel this together. I want us to pray together. And so our global outreach team, and by the way, if you know anyone on the global outreach team, thank them. Thank Gordon, who's directing it. Thank the people there helping us get a bigger picture of what God's doing around the world. Our global outreach team put together a weekly prayer guide so that we can pray for our family around the world. And I want to encourage you, in the morning when you wake up, pray. At your lunch break, pray. At your coffee break, pray. Grab your kids and pray. Grab your housemates and pray. All of our life groups this week, instead of, instead of studying some topics, what we're going to do is we're going to, we're, going to, we're going to enter in by talking about the power of prayer and what God does in response to our prayers. And then we're going to pray. We're going to pick a country or two and we're going to pray together as a group because we believe that God hears our prayers here and responds to them there. So I want to ask you, would you join me in praying? And then next week when we enter into that day of prayer for the persecuted church, out in the lobby, our GO team will have all kinds of information about it, ways to get involved, next steps you can take. We will say a prayer together for our friends around the world, but it will be the culmination of hundreds of prayers because we live in an unprecedented time in human history where God is moving around the world, where this love story is taking root in the most unlikely places and God is transforming lives. And one day, one day, every single one of us who's entered into a relationship with Jesus will experience what John saw in Revelation chapter seven. We're gonna open our eyes and we're gonna be in this worship service that's too vast to count. We're gonna look out on oceans of people and I wonder, I don't know for sure, but I wonder on that day if you might catch the eye of somebody in India, someone from North Korea, someone from the Sudan, and I wonder if God would allow on that day, without you even saying a word, if you would just know, I was praying for you. I wonder if they would know 
you prayed for me, you cared for me, you served me. I don't know for sure how God's going to do that, but I know that God never lets any prayer fall away unheard and unresponded to. And I just can't wait for that day that we stand together as part of this global kingdom, worshiping our God and being there with people that will never see this side of eternity, but we know and they know that we prayed for them, that we served them, that we loved them, that we cared for them. If you're here and you've never entered into a a personal relationship with God, I'm going to say something right now and I'm going to say it without any worry that one of you is going to drag me outside and beat me up, although many of you could. (laughs) If you're here, And you've never internalized this story. This love story is your story. It's not just a story for human history in the big sense. It's your story today. God loves you. He called you here on purpose for a purpose. God has done everything to bring about the forgiveness of your sins so that you don't have to keep living in that sin, doing the very things you don't want to do. He wants you to experience freedom. He wants you to experience a relationship with him. And it comes by acknowledging the price that he paid when Jesus died on the cross and inviting God to be your leader and your savior and then following him in this life. And when you do, God promises to bring about forgiveness, to give you the strength to live the life that he's calling you to live. And he secures a place for you in eternity with him so that you'll be counted among that number too vast to count on that day. And if you're ready to make that decision, it's the best decision you could ever make. And you can do it right now. We're going to pray. I'm going to give you a chance to commit your life to God, to start this journey with him, and to make this big love story your love story. So would you join me? Let's all close our eyes. And in the quiet of this moment, if you've never entered into a a personal relationship with God, you you can start that journey right now by praying this prayer of commitment, just saying this to God, just repeat these words after me. Say, Lord Jesus, I believe that you love me and that you gave your life to pay the penalty for my sin. And I want to have a relationship with you. So would you come into my life? Would you forgive me of my sin? Would you fill me with your Holy Spirit? And would you show me what it looks like to follow you every day from this day forward? I pray in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Friends, I want to tell you that is not always the easiest decision. We just talked about the high cost that people pay for that choice, but I can tell you this, it is the best decision It is life-changing and eternity-shaping. And you're in this journey now as part of a community. You're not alone. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.